In today's episode, we're going behind the scenes to understand the business model driving ESPN's wide world of sports. From Engagement, I'm David Millay, and this is Flip the Switch. All right, welcome back to another episode of Flip the Switch, where we sit down with leaders and customer and employee experience to tease out the core principles that drive them and apply those insights to the world of sports and entertainment. One of the first episodes of the show that we did was with one of our senior partners at Engagement, Rick Jones. But I've held off on doing an episode with our other senior partner, Mike Malay. Yes, Mike is my dad. And yes, it's a little weird that I always call him Mike, but we work together. So what are you going to do? Not going to call him dad in the middle of a boardroom. We actually tried to record an episode together before we officially launched the podcast last year. And I just didn't like it. It felt inauthentic because I was asking questions I already knew the answers to. And that's what happens when you try to interview your dad, trying to distill his core business beliefs. I work with the guy every day. I know what those are. But with major pro sports starting to slowly come back, all eyes are suddenly on ESPN Wide World of Sports. And that's a topic Mike can talk about for days, and I can ask some real questions. MLS kicked off its first game on Wednesday, and NBA players are now in the bubble on Disney property. As ESPN Wide World of Sports is the epicenter of Major League Pro Sports in America right now, I know there are a lot of questions from our listeners and from the general public that we sought to answer here on this episode. Mike was the second executive hired at Wide World of Sports, and he was there for almost 20 years, the longest tenure of any executive in the complex's history. If you did not know, the MLS and NBA bubble is spread out across Walt Disney World Resort property. For some context, the property itself is over 40 square miles, which is about the size of San Francisco, or twice the size of the entire Manhattan Island. On that property, You've got four theme parks, two water parks, almost 30 owned and operated resorts, multiple golf courses, one of the largest and most profitable outdoor shopping and entertainment districts in the world in Disney Springs, and tons more third-party operated businesses. Amidst all of that is one of the world's largest sports complexes, ESPN Wide World of Sports. It's a 250-plus acre sports complex right smack dab in the middle of Walt Disney World property, including a 7,500-seat baseball stadium, a 5,000-seat multipurpose arena, a smaller 70,000-square-foot arena, 12 full-size soccer fields, four multipurpose fields, four professional baseball fields, six softball fields, a tennis complex, a track and field complex, a cross-country course, and more. It's huge in size, and it's huge in revenue. From a financial perspective, it was about a $100 million net revenue business driver for Mickey. Mike will explain how all of that came to be. During his 20 years as an exec at the Walt Disney Company, Mike oversaw almost every aspect of ESPN Wide World of Sports, from business development to capital planning, legal, event operations, marketing, and more. So suffice it to say, his skill set with our clients has been invaluable as we help organizations enhance their customer journeys, improve their culture, and optimize their operations. 
For the purpose of this podcast, Mike's going to take us behind the scenes as to how ESPN Wide World of Sports first came to be and how it got to where it is today, hosting the NBA and MLS games. We cover everything from the larger impact the sports complex has had on the sports industry as a whole and sports tourism. We talk about how they made business decisions and how the complex makes money. We talk about Mike's evolution as a leader, coming from a small nonprofit sports organization to being an executive at Disney. We talk about failures and lessons from other leaders. No matter if you work for a pro sports team or a local sports commission, a college athletics department, or a youth sports organization, you're going to find some value in what Mike's got to say. This was a long recording, so we're splitting it into two parts. The first episode is primarily focused on the business model and inner workings of ESPN Wide World of Sports. Part two, which you're listening to now, is more focused on Mike's learnings and reflections on his own leadership journey while there. So if you haven't listened to part one yet, I definitely recommend going back and listening to that before you listen to this episode. But if you don't care and somehow you just stumbled upon this, you want to listen to it, go for it. Without further ado, let's jump into this conversation with my dad, Mike Malay. Well, let's let's talk about another thing that I think you're doing now, helping different organizations uh, from a pro sports perspective or from a college sports perspective, ultimately on the business ends and some of the processes and decision making to become more customer centric. Uh, you always one thing you always say that I love and I steal from you is that Disney was a finance company with an entertainment facade. How did that manifest itself at ESPN Wide World of Sports? I, yeah, well, again, I said it earlier, we're, we're a Fortune 100 company, so we are a slave to shareholders. I say a slave, that's the wrong one to say. I'm a shareholder, so I'm not a slave to me. But, you know, the reality is we have you're, to- You're accountable to them, yeah. Yeah, we're, we're accountable to them, and we have to continue grow the business. I think that's the big difference. I, we're more aligned with the way pro teams think about it, because if you're an owner of a team, you, you invested money, you want to get an ROI on it. So everything we looked at was an ROI. I think if you're in the not-for-profit or government space, the the level of um, accountability is the wrong word. The level of what is driving you as you get up every day. Um, you know, if you if you don't have this, if you don't have that, next year you still have your job at Disney. You know, the reality is if we don't hit our numbers. You know, we're we're going to have a bunch of people from a different departments coming in to help us get our numbers. That's that's that was that was the big thing. And and you, the last thing you wanted was people from other departments coming in and telling you how to run a baseball tournament. Um, you know, and, and so we 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 had a partner with a lot of people across property. You know, to hit our numbers, let's say um, we were dependent on our call center who would go out there and and. So if you think about the business, first, I, I needed to get a tournament organizer to bring his tournament here. But then I got to get them to stay in my hotels. Then I got to get them to buy our theme park tickets when that's not their first and foremost priority. First and foremost is pay the registration fee to the tournament and then go win a tournament. But I got it. So so we had to help our our, our call center people, which, which didn't report to us, to help us help them sell tickets. And what are those things? So. A lot of partnering. I think the one thing that I I think is missing in a lot of uh, sports organization is the the depth of collaboration that we had to do uh, to be successful. 
this is th- th- there was no one in a silo at Walt Disney at ESPN Wide World Sports. I can assure you. <laughs> um, so you know you had to be comfortable with other people asking questions that you might think didn't make a lot of sense. But the reality is, a lot of people would ask a lot of questions, and you're saying, you know, you're right. I don't I don't know why we do that. You know, because we've always done it that way, and so. It, it forced us to constantly improve. Um, you know, the, the theme of continuous improvement at Walt Disney World is lives in every department there. And when you think about it that way, when you think about continuous improvement, that forces you to actually try to improve um, as opposed to just do it the way we did last year. Um, I, and I do think part of the challenges with with college, college athletic department specifically is because uh, just grab football. You know, they do seven games a year, you know, no offense, but how, how great can you be doing it seven times a year while you're probably also doing other sports and, and have other responsibilities. Uh, I think traditionally college athletic departments are very thinly staffed, um, for the, for the volume of revenue they bring in. Um, and it puts a burden on people to quite honestly, look for the next opportunity because either they're overworked and underappreciated uh, and I think that's one of the biggest challenges in college sports is people are leaving to go to another another role, thinking it's going to be different at the other school when it's going to be just the same. Uh, you know, and I think that's that's the big opportunity that I think we 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 have in trying to help colleges um, improve their work environment by really truly providing the tools and and you know the reward recognition that. It's necessary to get jobs done. This is hard. This is hard work. You know, putting on events is not simple. It's not difficult, but it's it's certainly time consuming and can be draining. I hear that. I think I think one thing I I love that you guys did that I know I've learned a lot from you. Uh, obviously, my background being with Disney Institute, not on the sports side of things, is the way that you kind of approach how can we get the most out of whatever it is we're working with, almost kind of like a real estate mind. And I think that came from you guys looking yeah. at, we've got X amount of acres. How can we maximize the yield to drive revenue? Cause ultimately we're being held accountable by revenue numbers. So what should we decide to go here? Is it a track and field complex? Is it a tennis court? Is it a, is it a, a basketball arena? Right. Uh, the way you guys looked at that, you approach the same thing from everything. How do we look at people? How do we look at org structure? How do we look at whatever it might be? I know that is one thing that I've definitely learned from you and, and something that you just majorly hit on. Well, it, it all starts with organizational design. Do you, are, are you designed around your, your, your purpose and process or are you, are you organized around people? What happens a lot, certainly in the youth sports space or the not-for-profit space is, you know, D- David's in charge of marketing. Why? Well, because he's got a Twitter account. You know, he's 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 really good at Instagram. Well, but he may not be the best qualified to do the job. So we tend to we tend to not want to get rid of David because David's been around for seven years or ten years. But David's really not learning. He's not. You haven't given him the tools to get better at that. So we went. We were constantly always looking at our organizational design. I probably we probably restructured probably no less than seven times in the twenty years that I was there, and. It's painful, but what it does, it brings different different thought process to it, and it, it does create continuous improvement. Um, so I, I, you know, when, it, when it's all said and done, you you just got to constantly look at your organizational structure. Number one, and then number two is, you know, what is your purpose? Um, and as long as your purpose 
for us was always, you know, how do we exceed guest expectations? That's a good driving principle that makes you think about it. Now, at the same time, I've got finance people saying, are you going to hit your numbers? Um, right. So it keeps you honest. There's a, there's a nice balance there. Well, let's, let's talk about that a little bit. Uh, kind of, I guess, purpose-driven innovation balanced with having to deliver on results. I, I think a lot of organizations struggle with that of they put their heads down because they're trying so hard to hit the numbers or the goals that have been identified from them, and they don't find time to to balance that with innovation. Uh, so, let, I mean, maybe let's talk a little bit about how you guys t- came up with Run Disney, because as I think about Run Disney, that's something that definitely different from what the core business was that you guys had created in terms of driving people to fields or basketball courts, a little bit of a different business model, but still fit in with that same purpose. So talk to us about how you guys came up with the idea for run Disney, the scope of run Disney, and maybe some of the impact, uh, that it drove. Well, when I, when I came there in 94, uh, Disney already had a marathon. So that was actually created the, the Disney marathon was created by the marketing department who at the time when I got there, any sports event that happened at Walt Disney World was all a TV-driven property, whether it was a golf tournament, whether it was a, a, a you know a fishing tournament, wh- whatever it might be, it was done to put Walt Disney World on TV, right? Uh, the marathon was created because in the first week of January, you could shoot a cannon through the parks and no one was there because people were just getting back to school. Corporations weren't having conferences. So literally the hotels were, were empty. Um, and so the marathon was already in place done by marketing. We, we, we took it over in its third year and I, I quickly challenged the team to think about, you know, how do we, how do we grow the numbers? And early on, this is where it was kind of a little challenging. The marathon the capacity for the for the for the race was set by some industrial engineers that said uh, there's no more than six thousand people can run through the parks, right? You know, they did they did some modeling and that's what it came up with. Well, the problem is when we when when they announced that Walt Disney that Walt Disney would have a marathon, people were trying to get in right away, and and so there was significant demand, but we turned away a boatload of people. So it took us years to get to get to the marketplace that says, no, 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 we're open. We can, we can take more than 6,000 people because we, we quickly got in there. And before you know it, we were up to 24,000, right? So i.e. those industrial engineers were wrong in their assumption, but we, we, we helped drive. So anyway, get back to your story. So we quickly said, how do we grow it? Uh, my thought was there's more people that can run a half marathon that can run a full marathon. So let's add a half marathon to it. At the time, 25 years ago, the marathon was really the big accomplishment. And I said, who, who, who cares if some guy runs a world record time? The majority of people can't. So let's get more people to run, which means more hotel rooms, more theme park tickets, so forth and so on. And we 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 hit the capacity at twenty four thousand. Then we we had the, the great idea to said, hey, can we split the race from the full and the half? Can we put the full on Sunday and the half on Saturday? I think you could only do that at a wholly owned park like ours. You couldn't go to the New York Marathon and say, hey. We'd like to have another race on Saturday and another one on Sunday where we just shut down the streets. Won't happen. At Walt Disney World, it was getting all the operators and all the parks together, all our transportation people, industrial engineers saying, how can we do it? 
And lo and behold, before you know it, we've got 24,000 people on Saturday, 24,000 people on San, on Sunday. And then, then we said, Hey, what if we put a 10 K? What if we put a 5 K? So that was, you know, run Disney was, uh, uh, became, uh, you know, it was an evolution. I, I, I think it was Farron Kelly, the current vice president who actually, his team actually came up with the brand run Disney, which was, which was genius. Cause at the time we had a couple, uh, a couple, uh, road races that we did, but we didn't put it under a brand. And that's where we, that's where we didn't leverage the, 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 the power of the brand. And Farron's background was, you know, he was a, he, he had, he's a lifelong Disney guy and, and his team brought that into the bear. So that, that's where in theory, the Disney brand carried a lot more weight than the, uh, the authentic sports guys, you know, and what we knew. Um, but you know, over time we became, I think, I think they're the third largest race producer in the world now with races. Uh, I opened when we did the ones out at Disneyland, uh, and running through the streets of Anaheim, which was interesting. Um, so yeah, a lot, a lot of stories there, you know, but it, uh, the run Disney brand was, it, it's, it's again, it's driving incremental visitors at a time when we need them. We didn't put it, listen, we didn't put a, we didn't put a race on, uh, over the Christmas holidays because we're already sold out. So let's find those gaps in hotel availability and put the race there. That is no different than what a lot of sports commissions are finally doing. They're creating properties to put in lower, um, you know, hotel occupancy time periods. Beautiful. I, I think that's a key lesson too for anybody in college sports and pro sports, sports commissions. How can we look at when we have dark days, when we have resources that aren't being utilized and how can we treat that almost as real estate and say, let's go and create something that can then drive revenue where currently we're not creating it. Yeah. Well, you, you, you just hit on something that I forgot. I didn't really answer your question before about, uh, about real estate. So our, our, this really gets down to business modeling. And I think this is an area of opportunity. Uh, Again, you see a lot in pros where they're studying a lot of data, um, we're getting there in college athletics where they're really looking at data a lot more, but ultimately my team was in charge of selling real estate. And when I say real estate, it is, I've got, I've got multi-purpose fields that are all green and they need something on it. The question is, do I put a soccer event on there? Do I put a field hockey event on there? Do I put a rugby event on there? Or do I put a flag football event on there? If they all happen to want to come on the same weekend, so you had we had to create business modeling approaches to this of of how do you think about highest yield per athlete? Uh, again, having great finance people. If you have great data, you will make better decisions. Food and beverage. If you look at you know all the all the big you know food and beverage operators out there, the Levies of the world, the the, the compasses, the Aramarks. They're you know they're 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 looking at their numbers, their skews by stand. Um, and if you don't have that kind of approach, you're just leaving money on the table when it's all said and done. Um, so we, we spent a lot of time with our finance people deciding what events we had a, an event review committee. So every week people had to present, Hey, I've got a baseball tournament. I've got this guy who wants to bring the soccer tournament. I got this guy who wants to bring a basketball tournament and we would just beat the crap out of it. Um, and you know, people walked out, you know, Wow, like wow, that was brutal. You know, it, it, in the early days, Reggie called it the Gong Show, and that that's a reference back to an old TV show that people would come with harebrained ideas, and there was a big gong, and people would hit it like "Get out of here, you fool!" Um, and so that Gong Show, people would have to pr- present their concept, both what's the marketing cost, what's the ROI going to be, how long is it going to make the you know, it's just 
So we, we created formulas around all this stuff. And it was very, very, again, no one had ever done this before. So we created all this stuff from scratch. And I think that those learnings is what is now being used across the sports tourism industry and how they evaluate doing business. It, super, super insightful hearing this stuff because there's a lot of stuff here that I've not ever heard you talk about before. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. It was, it was uh, you know, again, it, I, I, I can't, I can't uh, thank my finance partners enough to make that made me so much of a better business person because they challenge your passion and your lot and your sometimes illogical uh, approach to things. Because you just, you know, I got to get that soccer event in. That's why, because I like soccer. You know, well, that's a bad reason. Um, but at, at the same time that forced all of our guys to be smarter at, at business. So we talked a little bit about run Disney changing names, uh, and, and the brand that ca- kind of carried a, carried with that. Uh, let's talk about something you alluded to earlier, which was this brand shift from Disney's wide world of sports to ESPN wide world of sports. Uh, talk to us a little bit about some of that decision, uh, and how you guys made that. Well, um, Ken Potrock, who um, is now, uh, he's actually the president of Disneyland. And for a while, he was the, the head of uh, Disney Vacation Club and and uh, uh, and Disney Consumer Products. Uh, we, we were we were doing a lot. We, we were always trying to, you know, the one thing that Bob Iger and, and even uh, Michael Eisner tried to do was, was, was to create more synergy. Bob did a phenomenal job in pushing synergy amongst business units, which is not always easy in a big company because everybody's, you know, everybody, that is where silos could exist. Right. And, um, it's funny, I was on a call just yesterday with, with John Kozner who headed up their digital, their ESPN's digital for 20 years. And at the time, John and I were kind of the point people of how do we get ESPN and Disney's wide world of sports to work more in, 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 tandem and the challenge there was if you're espn you're looking for content that is going to create eyeballs on tv so world's strongest man competition you know they'll say hey we should do that at disney's wild world sports like there's like 12 guys like there's not a whole lot of hotel rooms there so that's where that's where financial you know p l's collided with each other and you had to be okay well let's try that um and I go back to the early days. Um, it, it's funny, uh, Don Garber and I, and I have known each other for you know almost thirty years because at the time he was with the NFL and he brought in the NFL quarterback challenge to us. You know, again, not a whole lot of athletes, but it was good for our brand and it was good for the NFL, and and we did a great job. But you know, and then David Newman, who was with the Mets for years, you know, he he headed it up from there. So um, you, you had to balance that high profile stuff that ESPN loved. Um, and at the time they, they, they were trying to get into the youth space. So there was a thing called ESPN, uh, HS, basically ESPN high school. And you still see a little of that in football. You watch, you know, the big, uh, you know, uh, IMG Academy playing, you know, uh, you know, a team in Alabama or something like that on TV, the Friday night lights kind of approach. Um, they want to take a much bigger approach to that in, um, in, in terms of, using ESPN wide world sports and those conversations started taking place. And Ken um, really started saying, you know, how do we start doing this together a little more? And, you know, on one hand you're saying, okay, Disney has a place called Disney's wide world of sports. The company owns probably the most powerful brand in the sports world in ESPN. (laughs) And it's like, duh, 
what took us so long to figure this one out? Um, and it, it, uh, it was a, a project that took about a year and a half to figure out. I mean, we came up with so many different names to rename that place. And it, it, it just took, you know, uh, at the time it was, uh, uh, do, do, do you remember one of the ones that wouldn't have made the cut or like a oh, ridiculous no, I, one? Do you remember I, any? I, 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 I can't. There were so many stupid ones. It, it wasn't even funny because you listen, that's what brainstorming is, right? You, you throw everything out there and what, you know, we started off with 20 different names and then, and, and one of those was, well, let's call it ESPN wide world of sports. Goes, no, 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 no. That's too easy. That's too easy. Let's go. And so they were coming up with, you know, the pride lens, the, this, the, you know, all sorts of different names. And what kept making the cut was ESPN wide world of sports. And, and it's funny, Alex Vergara and I were always saying, why don't we just call it ESPN Wide World Sports? Ah, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. You guys aren't brand guys. And um, before you know it, it started slowly getting down. And I remember Iger going, why don't you just call it ESPN Wide World Sports? Okay, great idea. Uh, <laughs> and and then you then you had to spend all the time in 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 the creative and what that logo would look like and and you know, signage. So anybody that's gone through a rebranding, I feel your pain. It was a lot of work. By uh, there, and there was there were two key guys. One guy on ESPN's uh, side, and and uh, Alex Figueroa on our side, that really kind of drove all the connectivity. But you know, ultimately, all those decisions are made at a higher level, and uh, you know, but there's a lot of work that goes into it. But it was it was fun. We had a grand opening and brought a lot of celebrities out there, and uh, turned out it, turned out well. It is interesting, though, the power of brand, right? I remember the story uh, of Dax McCarty who. Uh, is he, oh, yeah. He's still he's still in the league, right? Uh, yeah, I think he. I he's, think he's, he's still in MLS. I think he's playing with the Fire. Maybe who was last year? He was with but, Red Bulls for a long time. Anyway, we grew up together. I played with his brother uh, Dustin. But I do do remember you telling me that on that opening day he was there and he came up yeah. to you and said, what, "What was it that he said?" Yeah. Well, so we we brought in a lot of high profile athletes to kind of be there for the launch. I can't remember the, the Chicago Bears kicker's name, but. Um, he had just won. They just won the, the Super Bowl, and he kicked. Uh, he kicked. A, he actually kicked a, a, a field goal, threw a field goal, and that that launched the, the, the grand opening. So it was really done in typical Disney fanfare. But we had a a um, kind of a, a green room for all the celebrities that we brought in, and we're interviewing people. We're trying to get sound bites for future use and all this stuff. And I remember Dax talking to a guy and saying. Um, you know, so what do you think of the rebrand? He says, you know, ES, you know, it's now called ESPN World Sports. He goes, oh, you can tell now it's so much better run. Like it, it's still run by the exact same people who ran it last <laughs> week. <laughs> but to your point, the power of brand of of people just assume it's ESPN. It's exceptional, not knowing that it's really run by Walt Disney Resort cast members who've been running it for years. Um and that, that is the power of brand. And all these, all, listen, all these colleges, all these pro teams, they recognize their power, their brand. Um, and it was always interesting as when we would be negotiating with other powerful brands, whether it was the NFL or the NBA or or the NCAA, of saying, "Do you know who we are? You know our events on ESPN." I go, "Do you know we own ESPN?" <laughs> that was always a great comeback. Well, it's always it's interesting too, right? We did a podcast episode with Moon Javid, who's the, now the chief strategy officer for the San Francisco 49ers. and he talked a little bit about how uh, they've partnered with a, a big uh, gym chain, and they're not running the gym, 
but they've got 49ers fit as the logo on there. And they're saying, hey, yeah, these are the equipments and things that we use. It's still run by all the same people from that from that chain. Uh, they're just leveraging the power of brand and they're charging far more than they would have been able to uh, under the, the chain's uh name. So yeah, it's, I, I, I think, I think if you're a pro team or you're a college team, right. Using and leveraging that brand, some do it really well. Others have a great brand and don't utilize it quite to the, to the extent that they could. And I think what the 49ers have done, and they, they've probably done as good a job as anybody in the pro space. It's, <clears throat> but what does that brand stand for? And I think that's where ESPN viral sports, which really was representing the Disney brand was always about safety, courtesy, show, and efficiency, making sure that we had those those four service standards as how we operated everything with, with an eye that these are athletes and they're looking for something else and making sure uh, that, that, that that sports overlay is always there. Um, and that's, why I think, why early on a lot of the long-term partnerships we had is um, we signed deals with people who knew we understood sports. Uh, we weren't, you know, we weren't a hotel operator or theme park operator. We were people who actually knew how to, who, who understood the essence of what sports stands for. Um, and we tried to deliver that uh, every time. So those kids that won, that won that soccer tournament at Wide World of Sports, you want to make sure this was the pinnacle of their, their youth sports career because they probably are not going to play in college or, or in the MLS. It's interesting this, this week with MLS there. Is Ben Olson, the, the the head coach at DC United? He's coming back and playing and, and coaching on the same field that he played on when he was at the University of Virginia when we hosted the ACC uh, championships. So there are a lot of those stories that yeah. are there. I mean, uh, the NBA. I guarantee you, there's at least twenty to thirty percent of those players who are coming back and are going to play on the exact same court that they played on when they were playing AAU ball. Oh, at least at least twenty to thirty. Yeah, uh, I mean. I remember talking to Dwayne Wade out there and he said, you know, he, he remembers it vividly playing there when he came back when he was with the, with the heat, he came back and he says, yeah, I remember. Cause I didn't start that game. I was on the bench. So <laughs> imagine, imagine how good that team was out of Chicago. Uh, you know, Yao, Yao, Ming, Yao Ming made his first, his career, his career in the U S his first time Yao Ming was seen in the U S was at ESPN wide world sports. Y'all, um, y'all but, have so many great stories like that, but, but not, I would say, People probably listening to this might think it's Disney, so they probably nailed everything uh, and every experience was great. But I know that's not true, right? You guys definitely had some failures from a business perspective. Um, Can you talk about maybe one or two of those biggest failures that you look back at and you're like, man, we we really flubbed that one. We we thought it was a great idea, but for some reason it wasn't the right idea or you didn't execute well. Biggest failure that you could think of. from a facility side, you know, we, we, we built, we built clay courts out there, tennis courts out there. And it's, it's the most unused real estate out there. And again, go back to my analogy about yield management. If you think about 11 tennis courts and how much acreage that takes up, you say, Hmm, what if I would have put three soccer fields there? Would I get higher yield per acre at the early time early beginning we wanted to make sure we had a wide world of sports complex sports venues and tennis seemed to make sense it really never ever did um but when i think about real estate the most you can put on those fields on those tennis courts are if you got doubles going for all the time right 
And so if you got 11 tennis courts, 11 times four, there's only 44 people that can be playing there. And dang, they play for three and a half hours sometimes, <laughs> right? So you're not getting the yield. On the other end of the spectrum is cheerleading, which if you look at cheerleading, the throughput of putting 44 cheerleaders on, they're done in six minutes. And you bring on another 44 and another 44 and another 44. And so it, it really does, the business modeling makes you think about um, it makes you think about sports differently, but back to your, so I think from a facility standpoint, tennis has always been, it just, it, it, it never made sense there. Um, and now fortunately down the road is the U S men's, uh, the U S, uh, TA's national training center right down the road. Um, uh, but I, I would say from an event standpoint, there, there were a lot of them that we didn't, that didn't, it didn't pencil out as we had hoped, whether it was the operator didn't, didn't, didn't pull it all together. Um, uh, trying to think we, 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 there were some events that I wish we would have given more time. Um, I think as what what might be an example of one of those, if you're comfortable. Well, yeah. So the CrossFit games, right. As CrossFit was starting to come up, we, we had made an an attempt and this is right as I was leaving. Um, I, I think Disney created CrossFit. Don't call it CrossFit, but do the same thing. You leverage the, the entire fitness space. Uh, CrossFit is, uh, you know, they, they get, they give you one workout. It doesn't matter whether you're 220 pounds or you're 112 pounds, you're doing the same workout. Well, the stronger guy is always going to win male or female. So why wouldn't you create like we did with, with run Disney? Why wouldn't we create age, age categories and have multiple winners and you throw the Disney brand out there? I think things like that would have been, would, would have been really taken off. What really proved very good for us was all of our Disney created uh, event properties. They, they were by far our most financially beneficial run Disney being a great example of that. Um, trying to think of any other Disney soccer showcase is one of those that I know a lot of the MLS guys would have grown up playing in. I grew up playing in those. Um, Yeah. Again, what's happened over, over the last um, 15 years is the competition has grown in the early years. There was no, there was no competitor to ESPN Wide World Sports. Now there's a lot of great facilities, not at the, not to the level of ESPN Wide World Sports, but people have said, I can play on great fields in Indianapolis or in Atlanta or in Dallas, Texas. Um, and so why do I have to travel down to ESPN Wide World Sports? Because they make me buy a theme park ticket. <laughs> so, um, you know, it's, it's just finding that balance. So there's more, there's more competition today than ever before, uh, which I'm sure is, you know, is causing some challenges. Well, I want to start to, I guess, start to wrap up here. We'll see how long this wrap up takes, but I, I do want to get a little bit more into kind of your evolution. Uh, we've talked a lot about the business, but I want to talk more just, you know, father to son, almost uh, business partners here. I mean, how do you feel like your leadership style evolved over the years? Um, you know, I came from the not-for-profit background running uh organization called the Greater New Orleans Sports Foundation, which brought in Super Bowls and Final Fours. So, but I had a very small staff. The, the biggest challenge for me was going from um, a not-for-profit space where I was the chief cook and bottle washer. I had to do everything because I just didn't have staff. So that's where I can relate to a lot of these college athletic departments who are doing 19 different things. and There's just not enough hours in the day um, to, to being hired at wide world of sports, I didn't really know how to lead. I think if, if I, if I learned anything over time was, was trying to look at great leadership 
models of, of looking at, I mean, listen, we've all worked for people that we wish we never would have ever worked for before. Um, but at Disney, because there were so many leaders that I was exposed to, whether it was from the parks or from the hotels, that you just kind of say, I really like the way she she does that. I really like the way he says that. Um, and so you have to, I think, I think leadership and how you mature is, is making sure you emulate those people that are, are, are great at what they do. Do you remember any leaders in specific that you really tried to model yourself after? Uh, yeah, I think one of, one of my all time favorites was a guy by the name of Matt Wiemat. Matt ended up becoming the president. So he, at the time he was, we, we had a challenging piece at wide world of sports where we were not hitting our numbers and so they brought some help in, <laughs> some finance people in to help us think about our business a little differently. And Matt had a a very unique style that um, served him well and served us well. You know, he wasn't he wasn't like an in your face. You need to do this. You need this. He taught you how to think differently. Um, and I think that was the biggest. I think he had the most impact on me. Although my my boss Reggie Williams had had uh, his. His courage uh, made me realize that leadership um, is starts with being courageous to stand up for you, for what you believe in and what your what your team needs. And so he fought some huge, huge battles within the company. Uh, you have any any, any examples you can share? Well, he was he was not the biggest fan of 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 putting the mouse everywhere, right? And. You know, if, if I remember, he was staunchly against it. <laughs> he was he was staunchly against it. He, he basically said, you know, Mickey Mouse with a head that big, how can those little scrawny legs hold it up? You know, so it was things like that that was like would just anybody that worked at Disney would just like cringe listening to that. But you know, I got to got to give him credit. He was uh, he was a very very um, strong leader and and fought for what. And, and I, in, in fairness, give him the credit for for creating the brand of we are sports with a Disney framework around us. Were there um, any, any moments in specific that you can remember him really displaying that courage? Oh, I mean, he, can you tell a, a story? Um, we were, we were every, um, about every quarter, Michael Eisner or Bob Iger would come in to, to come to, to, to Disney world and the leadership took that opportunity to bring all of us, all the executives across power. And there's about 250 of us that, that, that were in that room and Bob would be up there or, or, uh, Michael Eisner would be up there and they're telling you everything that's going on in movies or in consumer products or what's going on. And then say, Hey, all right, who's got questions. And, you know, people would for the most part throw softball questions at these guys. Cause no one's, you know, this is, these are, this, these can be career limiting moves if you ask the wrong question, <laughs> you know, and Reggie, would stand up and everybody was like, what is he going to ask? And he, <laughs> I tell you what, in these, in these interesting times, he asked Bob Eisner, asked Michael Eisner, you know, why is there not more, uh, color, you know, African-American leadership, um, across the company? What's our diversity strategy? Like, Whoa, I'm not sure this is the right audience to do that from, but that took a lot of courage to, to challenge the, the CEO of the company that, are we looking at diversity in the right way? And now when, when you look at what's going on in the country, he was way ahead of his time and he had courage to do it way back when. Um, so I always give him credit for that. He, there was, there was nothing, there was nothing or no one that he wouldn't ask a question of because he was so assured of who he was. 
he was great that way. And then, and, and again, back to back to Matt. Matt ended up being the president of Disneyland, and then became the chairman of of uh, uh, Cedar Fair, which runs, you know, I think about fifteen different uh, theme parks across the United States. Uh, just a great, great leader. And there was other ones. Lee Cockrell's another great one who's written a lot of books on on Disney. Um, you know, so I, there's just there's a there's a boatload of them out there. Well, as we as you look back at your time at Disney, is there what what's one thing you might have done differently uh, if you could go over and do it again from scratch? Um, I, again, I think I would have tried to be a better teacher than I was a doer. I, I it's one thing that because I I skipped learning how to manage people and had to go from doing to leading. And I, I didn't learn how to be a better manager. Um, so I, I think there was, there, there were things, I think I'm, I'm, I'm better today than I was then because I'm much more insightful as to terms of what my, what my purpose really was, what my purpose was as a leader. It was not to get things done. It was to get other people to help them get things done. And I think that's, that's, a uh, something that I, I, I wish I would have done differently, um, and, uh, you know, so listen, as, as you, as you mature, there's a lot of things you look in the rear of your mirror. I'm, I'm proud of what our team accomplished, um, maybe despite my inefficiencies or, or lack of certain things, but we all had passion. We all had drive and we knew why we, why we were there and got up and that really made the difference for us. Big proudest accomplishment, uh, over your time with ESPN wide world of sports. Oh God, there's so many of them, but there were so many great events that we did. You know, I think there's, there's. Uh, ho- hosting the, the Florida Special Olympics every year, I think, uh, probably meant the most to our cast members who got a chance to, you know, you, you go from over o- overpaid athletes, you know, uh, in watching pro players come on there to kids who are, you know, physically and mentally challenged and are trying to trying their their darndest, and just just a pat on the back means so much to them. I think that. Those uh, those two Special Olympics that we host every year probably meant the most to our cast members. Um, I think one of the most fun events that we ever hosted there was uh, the first year of the 2006 World Baseball Classic. Um, first year, first time it ever ever happened here, and we had. Uh, I remember, I, I remember the watching the Dominican Republic play Venezuela, and if you if you go back there and look at those rosters, I mean, it, it's. These are Hall of Famers that were playing against each other. And the passion in the stands was like nothing I've ever experienced in sport. Um, it, it, I mean, the, the the culture of those two countries, uh, I, I remember t- one, of, one, of, one of my employees witnessed this. So I'm, I'm still giving the secondhand story. But there was there were two guys from uh, from the Dominican Republic who came there to watch to, ca- to came there to watch their uh, their their team play, their country play. Right. And they had been drinking because we, we sold more rum. I mean, we just blew <laughs> through all the rum on property because they were drinking so much. And, and the one guy happened to pa- kind of pass out. And so you have, you have the medical, the medical people there going, uh, all right, well, we've got to take him to the hospital. This is like 10 minutes before the game's ready to start. The crowd's going nuts. And, and the, the, the EM, the, the EMT says to the guy, well, we need someone to go with him. And here's the other guy who's who's traveled all the way from the Dominican Republic. He's coming to watch him play Venezuela. He's paid a lot for his tickets, and he's looking at his buddy like, 
I'm not sure I'm going to go with you. I want to watch this game. You know, so, you know, it's the beauty of what sports does. And we've, for all of us that have, that have, you know, been raised in it. Um, those are the great events that you say, this is what sports is all about. It's not about winning or losing. It's about the passion. It's about, it's about teamwork. It's about things that, that, you know, honestly, great leaders and great coaches can, can deliver for, for, for athletes. Um, that, 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 that was yeah. pretty special. There was, there was a lot of special things there. Yeah. Well, that's a great moment. I think to, to kind of start to wrap us up, really wrap us up here on, um, I, I hope that we can start to get sports back, uh, after this pandemic, because I do too. I think missing from this world right now is a lot of that passion that, that you talked about. Um, yeah. I, 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 I hope, I hope this pause forces all of us to reflect on what's really important in our lives. Um, I think a lot of parents whose kids have been traveling all over God's creation to go play, rediscovered the kitchen table and conversations and realized that winning, winning, winning a national title at U9 really doesn't mean anything in the big scheme of things. Um, you know, I, listen, I went with, you know, five boys going through the vortex of the storm, traveling all over the States and all over the country to watch you guys play. Um, it's worse today than it was then. And it was pretty bad then. So, um, I, I hope everybody rediscovers why they put kids in sport and it's not to win. It's to learn how to compete and, and have fun at the same time. And that's fun. Fun has left youth sports. That's the bad news that's going on here. Final two questions. Uh, and then we're closing it. I promise. I, I know we've kept you for a while. Uh, one thing that you're excited on that you're working on right now. So I know we've all focus, focused on ESPN Wide World Sports, but what are you up to now? Anything that you're really excited about uh, coming out of this pandemic? Uh, still trying to help a lot of people in the sports tourism space. There's some venues out there that, that I'm, I'm working on. Um, I think one of the bigger opportunities here is what um, what we're doing. What we're doing with Penn State. We're going to be doing with a couple other uh, athletic departments is, is creating a, an online uh, content management platform that allows for more effective learning. I think what's happened here is the pandemic um, has caused everybody to say, all right, we can't, we can't train people the way we used to. So, you know, just game, game day, bringing 600 people to go inside of a field house and, and get a, and get a microphone and start talking can't work. So we've, we're, we're, we're working on an online learning management platform that I think is going to be um, very, very effective for professional development within not only game day staff, but professional development for uh, a lot of people in the college space that are in, uh, in need of professional development. And I, I, I really, I really believe that these guys are guys and gals are working so hard that it's hard to take their head up. They can't afford to go to conferences. So why not bring expertise and wisdom to them through a learning management platform that the university is probably not going to deliver. So that's a fun project that we're working on. Um, right now as well. I'm excited about that one too. Uh, final question, where can people reach you if they have questions or they just want to follow along the journey? Well, there's, there's, there's a variety of places that you can find me. I've got too many emails. That's, that's part of my problem. Give, give us one. one. I, I guess I'll just give you one. The easiest one is Mike M at engagementpartners.com. Mike M at engagement, M-I-N-T partners.com. Perfect. And LinkedIn, you're on LinkedIn. Uh, I know you send me messages I, and stuff through the inbox, so that might be I another am, place. I am in LinkedIn. I, I have a Facebook that I've never posted anything, so I, I'm, not, I'm not the social media expert for sure. Fair enough. Mike, it's been great having you. 
Uh, and I'll look forward to talking with you probably later today, honestly. Probably uh, so. All right. Fair <laughs> enough. Thanks for having uh, me. Ho- hopefully, hopefully the listeners enjoyed the, a little more insight as to what ESPN Wide World Sports was about. And uh, watch those basketball games and watch those, uh, uh, those soccer games and watch those trees. For everyone listening, thanks so much, <laughs> and uh, we'll see you soon. Hey, guys. Before you head out, just wanted to say thank you so much for listening to the show. If you enjoyed it, head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. That helps more of your peers find the show as they search for ways to get better in their own roles. But this podcast is just a small part of what we do at Engagement. In our normal day in the office, we're crazy focused on helping athletic departments and sports and entertainment companies generate more revenue by becoming more customer-centric. To see how we might be able to help your organization, visit engagementpartners.com to learn more. Download a free guide, check out our blogs and case studies, or schedule a call with us if you want to see how we can help with your particular objectives. Our goal is to help you create deeper connections with fans and generate more revenue. So when you're with us, hopefully you find a nugget or two that helps your cause.